0: And welcome back to the Rooster Crows podcast. I'm Judy Pressman. This week, the world is still reeling from the unprecedented results of the American election. A president has been elected, but the current president, Donald J. Trump, refuses to concede defeat. Trump has shocked and angered many through his defiance of standard presidential norms and values. And in the press, he is often called the worst president ever. Dishonest, corrupt, dangerous, and uncaring for his own citizens. In this week's podcast, we look at the question of what happens when leaders are corrupt. Can they expect to get away with it until their dying days? Or does life have a way of catching up with them? Can the wicked prosper until the end? Or will they get their just desserts? That's the question Reverend Stephen Milton explores today. He will be riffing off the words of the first psalm, which we will hear shortly. After Stephen's meditation, we'll hear Peter Fox perform George Harrison's Give Me Love. But to get started, let's hear the first psalm read by Alan Dick.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is from the Book of Psalms, Psalm number one, The Two Ways. Happy are those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or take the path that sinners tread, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But their delight is in the law of the Lord, and on God's law they meditate day and night. They are like trees, planted by streams of water, which yield their fruit in its season, and their leaves do not wither. In all that they do, they prosper. The wicked are not so, but are like shafts that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Thanks be to God.
2: Today's scripture reading is the first of the 150 psalms. The psalms are like the hymn book of the Hebrew scriptures. They were sung, and we still sing many of them today. If you've ever heard, the Lord is my shepherd, that's one of the psalms, the 23rd. The psalms are beautiful as poetry, and they pack a theological and emotional punch. The psalms always take the side of the underdog people cry out against wrongs friends and family have perpetrated, as well as complete strangers. And in some psalms, the suffering is caused by governments, Jewish and foreign, who are in the hands of wicked rulers. The wicked come in many forms, but the psalms always side with those who suffer, but look to God for support. But the psalms don't just hold the hands of those who suffer. They also take a position on suffering itself. We're told in this first psalm that the faithful should avoid sinners as much as possible. Don't walk with those who are corrupt. Don't join them in the seats of power. Steer clear as much as you can. The reason we should keep our distance is that evil ways never prosper, the psalm says. Evil governments and schemers always lose and are blown away like chaff in the wind. But is that true? Are the ways of the wicked doomed? Do the wicked always fail in the end? That question has been on many of our minds in the past two weeks as we watch the results of the American election. The incumbent president has shocked the world for four years with a torrent of lies and egotistical behavior. He's been accused of using public office to line his personal and corporate pockets, and he's openly encouraged others to do the same. I'll let you fill in the blanks on how his presidency is an example of an abuse of power and an exercise in narcissistic egotism. But one thing everyone can agree on is that this president believes that power, fame, and wealth are the chief goals of life, and certainly of his life. In this respect, The Bible would define him as one of the wicked. But is it likely this kind of wicked leader will fail? Will he simply be blown into the wind and lose all that he has amassed? Many of us may wish that Donald Trump will get his just desserts for all the trouble, pain, and death he and his inner circle have caused. But will Trump lose power? Not if he can help it. He's launched numerous lawsuits to challenge his defeat in several states. He's also stacked the Supreme Court with right-wing judges, who he may hope will help him stay in office. If these efforts fail, and Trump leaves the White House in January, will he get his comeuppance then? It seems certain that he'll spend the next few years in court, fighting corruption charges and business problems. And he faces a $400 million personal debt. But will these troubles cut him down to size? Will he learn his lesson? Personally, I doubt it. Although I do believe that people can change radically. You need to want to change. And I see no evidence of that at present. Trump, like many wealthy corrupt leaders, may go to his grave convinced that he was the greatest believing the lies of his followers and sycophants. It appears that real life suggests our psalm is engaged in wishful thinking. The wicked can prosper until the very end, and they do not blow away in the wind. Even the New Testament appears to contradict the first psalm's argument. In Christ's day, Galilee was ruled by Herod Antipas. He lived the good life. He had a grand palace on the hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee, and he spent his days surrounded by wealth and sycophants. We know this both from the historical record and from a particular story told in the Gospels. It goes like this. Herod has a birthday party for himself and invites his court. During the party, his stepdaughter performs a sexy dance for him. If that sounds creepy, you're getting the picture. Herod is delighted, so much so, that he offers to give the young woman anything she wants, up to half of his kingdom. It's a rash, foolish boast. The dancer's mother, Herod's new wife, has a grudge against John the Baptist, who is a prisoner in the dungeon. The girl announces, prompted by her mother, that she wants John's head brought to her on a platter. Herod is shocked and dismayed. He likes listening to John, but he's stuck. He's made this promise in front of the entire court so he can't back down. So John is executed and his bloody head presented as a grotesque birthday present to Herod and all of his courtiers. The episode is meant to illustrate the price that rulers pay when they rule out of greed and self-interest. Herod has thrown himself a birthday party, and he wants it to be all about him. He has no sense of propriety, allowing his stepdaughter to dance for him, and he has little self-control, offering to give her half his kingdom because he's so turned on by the dance. His selfishness is reflected in his followers. His wife takes the occasion to further her own cruel interests by having John killed. Selfish rulers attract selfish followers, and these followers cannot be trusted to protect the king's interests. In the Gospel of Mark and Matthew, this story is followed immediately by an example of what a good leader looks like. It's the famous story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus has come to a deserted place to be with his disciples. He's followed by people eager to hear his wisdom and to be healed. They come to him. He doesn't need to send out invitations. He spends the day healing and sharing wisdom with them. But he doesn't expect compliments from them or for them to entertain him. When they get hungry, this wise leader finds a way to feed them. King Herod's party led to a dead man's head being presented as food. On the hillside with Jesus, a meal which is life-giving is presented to thousands of people. In this story, we see the difference between good and bad leaders. One seeks to serve himself, and society rots around him as others follow his selfish example. The good leader, on the other hand, lives to serve his people, feeding them spiritually and physically. When leaders spout hatred and encouragement at others, They create an unstable situation. People riled up with hatred turn on each other, and will eventually turn on their leader. Entire societies can break down, as we saw in the Rwandan massacre. For that reason, politicians who incite violence and hatred also tend to promote law and order. They need the police and army to be strong enough to protect them against the unrest they are encouraging. Hatred and fear go together, bringing out the worst in everyone. But Jesus shows us what happens when leaders share love and compassion. Ordinary people get taken care of, and they're given the means to take care of each other. No one is afraid that love will get out of hand, that people will be too caring towards each other. An epidemic of love is not a problem. Love empowers by enabling us to see the perspectives of others more clearly. If you start with love as your premise, you have the patience to sit down with people and hear them out, to understand their needs and points of view. Leaders who promote love don't worry about their constituents being too grateful or too creative. Love empowers without being destructive. Love results in more fairness and equality. As Cornell West has said, justice is what love looks like in public. Now, that all sounds great in theory, but don't good governments get taken over by bad ones? Good leaders by bad ones? Yes, they do. Wicked governments throughout history have sought to increase their power by conquering good states. World War II provided ample evidence of that. Being good is no guarantee of material or political prosperity and longevity. And that takes us back to the first psalm. When it warns that we should not collaborate with the wicked, it provides an alternative. It speaks of faith, using the image of a tree planted by a stream of life-giving water. The faithful are sustained in all seasons, bearing fruit at all times. The image is drawn from nature. It makes no promises of fine palaces. Like Christ's feeding of the 5,000, it happens outside, in God's palace. Of all people, the Jews knew that bad things happen in this world. But throughout the Psalms, they promise that those who trust in God's love can be given a sense of spiritual security, which can get you through any trial or tribulation that comes your way. We hear this when people of faith suffer from cancer and other illnesses. They say that their faith has sustained them. The cancer may prevail, but inwardly they feel fed and loved, even grateful for what little they have. From the outside, their suffering looks like a defeat, not a success. But as one of my former ministers used to say, all of us face the end in the same way with a bedside table, a lamp, and a bed. That's the scope of everyone's material kingdom, rich or poor, when we reach our last days. All the other riches we may have collected become irrelevant. Having faith when you lie in that bed makes all the difference. It's likely that as long as there are governments, there will be people who are convinced that power, fame, and wealth are worth pursuing. The wicked will likely always be with us, and they will grab power from time to time. But they seem unable to hold it. Evil empires usually crumble, victims of their own infighting and inefficiencies. Distrust is a lousy foundation for good government. The Third Reich is gone, so is the Soviet Union, and Mao's Chinese Communism but more power-grabbing people will always come along to replace them and try to build new empires. Our job, as people of faith, is to look on this not with despair, but simply acknowledge that this is the way of the world. We have been warned in our good book that sin will be with us for a long time. The forecast calls for intermittent clouds for the foreseeable future. But while the greedy battle it out, we're invited to follow God's way. To be like Jesus, where we share love for others, confident that we are loved enough already. No matter who is in power, we are to help others as we are helped. So let us spend our days loving each other, being loved and sharing that love even with strangers. It won't make us rich, powerful, or famous. And that's fine. Our spiritual prosperity will get us through this life and into the next. And that's more than we need. Amen.
3: Give me love, give me love Give me peace on earth Give me life, give me life Keep me free from birth Give me hope, help me cope With this heavy load Trying to touch and reach you with heart and soul My sweet Lord Please take hold of my hand So I might understand From birth, give me hope, help me cope with this heavy load, trying to touch and reach you with heart and soul. peace on earth, give me life, give me life, keep me free from birth, keep me hope, help me cope with this heavy load, trying to touch and reach you with heart and soul.
0: was Peter Fox singing George Harrison's Give Me Love. Next, we're going to hear from Laura Lane, the chair of our social justice committee. She's leading a new initiative to help people who are living in a local homeless shelter.
4: setting up your first apartment I do Eric and I were married in December 1955 Eric had been living at the YMCA and existing on cigarettes and chocolate bars I was boarding with an aunt and was still at school We had nothing for setting up our bachelor apartment, for which we were paying one-third of Eric's monthly income of $300. We had almost nothing. Neither of us had a radio, and it took three months to get a phone from Bell Canada. Times have changed for me, but the need is still there for the homeless residents of Roehampton Hotel. The upper room a cluster of north toronto churches has agreed to help rather than stick with not in my backyard so far our congregation have collected about 40 winter coats now we are being challenged to reach out further about 15 homeless people are moved into other accommodation each month when they get ushered into empty spaces they need everything. Our challenge is to provide a welcome happer for each of these people. The Lawrence Park website has a link to the list of some little things and some bigger ones that you use every day. Please look at that list. When you replace one item for your kitchen, think of getting one or two extras to donate for our project. Look into your closets to see what supplies you have stored there. With our theatres shut down, you may be saving money you would have spent on entertainment. For the price of one ticket, you could fill one of our baskets. If our small effort can help 15 people each month, we might eventually not need Roehampton Hotel as a shelter. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Reach into your wallet, and your closets and help. Thank you.
0: If you would like to make a contribution to the Welcome Baskets project, please visit our website Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Rooster Crows podcast. This podcast is produced by Lawrence Park Community Church in Toronto, Canada. We're a progressive Christian congregation. You can find us online at www.lawrenceparkchurch.ca. We offer online worship services, meditation, and discussion groups about modern social issues. We also have a YouTube channel. If you like to see us in action, thanks for listening.